Morning, everybody. Welcome back for week two of Faith with Benefits. This journey we're taking together as a church through the New Testament book of Galatians. Now, for those of you who were not with us last week, we're going to give you a quick review. But for those of you who were here last week, consider this your pop quiz. And yes, it will be graded and it will count in your permanent record. So as we discovered last week, the the New Testament book of Galatians is an ancient letter written by who? Shout it out. Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he wrote this letter not to an individual church, but a group of churches that were all located in a region known in the first century as Galatia, but today is known as modern-day what? Turkey. Very good. Some of you were paying attention last week. And Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian churches to pat them on the back and tell them what a great job they were doing, right? Wrong. He wrote this letter to chastise them, to get on their case, to challenge them, because they had allowed the gospel message to be perverted. See, the Galatian churches were all Gentiles. They were non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But sometime after Paul planted these churches and left to move on to the next city, a group of Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem, infiltrated the church and the leadership of the church and started teaching the Galatians that they needed something more than just faith in Jesus. That their salvation required, yes, faith in Jesus, but they also needed a little Jewish culture to get into heaven. That they needed to observe the the dietary laws, that they needed to eat kosher. That the males needed to be circumcised in order to be a part of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And they also needed to celebrate and follow all of the Jewish festivals. And so Paul is writing back to Galatia and basically saying, don't let this happen. This is not true. You don't need Jesus plus anything. In fact, Paul says Jesus plus nothing is everything you need. You could sum up the whole book of Galatians by Paul just simply stating this fact. Salvation is found in faith alone, in Christ alone, period. And so last week, we kind of looked at chapter 1 of Galatians, and we focused on this concept of rescue. That the gospel message, when we believe it, it, it rescues us. Not only from the the bondage of our sins and failures in the past, but the gospel also rescues us from the trap of people-pleasing, right? That because of the gospel, we don't have to run around and try to keep everybody else happy with the way we live our lives. And that also, the gospel rescues us from the emptiness of religion, the confusion that comes from trying to be good enough to earn God's love, to earn his salvation, to try to do things through our behavior that will get us into God's good graces. And Paul says, no, the gospel, faith alone and Christ alone will rescue you from those things. Now today we're going to jump into chapter 2 of Galatians. So 
If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you today, it's okay for today. Just follow along on the little printed program. But if you don't have a Bible, or at least a Bible that you can carry with you and read daily, we have free Bibles available at all of our campuses. And as I said last week, I want to encourage you to pick up one on your way out this morning because during the week, We're reading together through the book of Galatians. We have these video devotional guides that we're putting out through Facebook and the city, our in-house social media program, so that every morning, Monday through Friday, you get a little devotional there shot by, filmed by one of your Cedar Creekers, a fellow Cedar Creeker, and you will literally read through the entire book of Galatians if you follow along with us. So I hope you'll do that. Now, when it comes to chapter 2, The focus of this chapter is on acceptance. What Paul is doing in chapter 2 is writing to the Galatians and telling them about something that had happened several years earlier, about how he had been accepted as a full-fledged apostle. Because you remember, Paul was not one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. right? He didn't hang out with Jesus for the three and a half years like Peter and James and John had done, and the others. He, he actually played for the other team. He was part of the religious elite, the Jewish hierarchy. He was a Pharisee, the very people that Jesus had the most trouble with. But after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension to heaven, at some point, Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. And as a result of that encounter with Jesus, Paul not only becomes a Jesus follower, but he is commissioned by Jesus directly as an apostle. And his assignment is to take the gospel message outside of the Jewish culture to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And for 14 years, that's what Paul does. He immediately gets on mission. In fact, his only contact with the original apostles is he spent a couple of weeks hanging out with Peter one time. And he had a brief meeting with James, the head elder of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. But other than that, Paul had been doing his own thing, just like Jesus told him to. But after 14 years of reaching out to the Gentiles, Paul goes back to Jerusalem to meet with the original apostles. He goes back to the home office. And it is very obvious from chapter 2 that Paul wants the Galatians to know that the reason he went back to meet with the original apostles was not to gain their favor. It was not because he had been called in by the home office to be chastised for what he was doing. He went for one reason and one reason alone, because that's what Jesus told him to do. He says in verse 2, a revelation was given to me. In other words, Jesus revealed to me that I needed to go back to Jerusalem and meet with the other apostles. And Paul doesn't go by himself. He takes two guys with him. He takes a guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas is also a Jewish believer in Jesus, well-respected among the apostles. And so Paul takes him maybe as a character witness because he and Paul have been working together. But Paul also takes a Gentile Greek young man by the name of Titus. Now Titus is a bacon-eaten, uncircumcised Greek believer in Jesus. 
He's got no Jewishness about him. And I believe Paul took Titus as a living testimony of how the gospel alone can transform a person's life from the inside out without having to follow Jewish culture. And so there's this big meeting with the original apostles, Paul with his buddies he brings, and as a result of this meeting, two things happen. One, Paul is accepted as an apostle. Now, Paul didn't need it, didn't want it, wasn't looking for it, but he got the stamp of approval of the original apostles. Then the second thing that happened is a decision was made to divide and conquer. That Paul would go back and reach out to the Gentile, non-Jewish communities, and that Peter and the others would focus on the Jewish communities in and around Jerusalem. That's what chapter 2 tells you, that story. But as we unpack it, as we get a little below the surface of just the story, we discover that this is not just a story about Paul's acceptance as an apostle, but it's also a picture of how we who are in Christ have been accepted by God and that how God wants to use that acceptance in our life to reach out and help those who still have not discovered God's acceptance. I mean, think about this. This is the heart of the gospel message, that through Christ we are made acceptable to God. Through Christ and Christ alone. When God looks at me, when he looks at you as a believer, he doesn't see our unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's how a holy, perfect God can accept into his presence and into his family broken, messed up, unrighteous people like me and like you. But the purpose, the purpose of that acceptance by God is not just for our salvation. It is for our ministry as well. God turns outsiders into insiders so as, as insiders we can keep reaching out to those who are still on the outside. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in his second letter to the Corinthian church. Notice there on the top of your outline, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Paul says all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. In other words, made us acceptable to himself through Christ and, don't miss this part, gave us the what? The ministry of reconciliation. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to look at four ways my acceptance to God in Christ allows me to be used by God to help and serve others. Does that make sense? How the fact that we've been made acceptable in Christ opens the door for us to impact positively the lives of those who are still desperately searching for acceptance in their life. Four things I see in chapter 2 that we're going to learn. One, that my acceptance allows me to stand up for others. My acceptance allows me to stand up for others. Because I've been accepted by God, I can stand up for those who have no standing. I can bring voice to those who are voiceless. Because I've been accepted. This meeting between Paul and the original apostles, you need to understand, this was no love fest. 
This was a fight. There were strong opinions on both sides. Emotions were high. This was a brouhaha, and it would have been so easy for Paul to compromise with these Judaizers. It would have been so easy because there's no skin off of Paul's nose if, you know, they have to continue to eat kosher or if they have to be circumcised because he's already got it. He lives kosher. He's 110% Jewish, been Jewish hardcore all his life. So think about how easy it would have been for him to say to the original apostles, okay, 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 how about we'll give up pork if you guys will back off on the circumcision thing, right? Because it's hard to plant churches when you have to tell the men they have to be circumcised to get into the church. He could have brokered a compromise, but he doesn't. He stands up for these Gentile believers. Why? Well, I'll let Paul tell you. Look at verse 5. Paul said, we did not give in to them for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Did you catch that? Paul standing as an insider was not for his own benefit, not for his own comfort, but to stand up for those who had no standing. And you need to understand in the first century, in the early days of the church, nobody had less of a voice than these new Gentile Christians. Because the church was 100% Jewish. The leadership was 100% Jewish. Everybody was Jewish. Talk about, you know, you hear in our culture today about not having representation or being underrepresented as females or as a race or whatever. Nothing compared to the situation these Gentiles were in. There are no other Gentiles in leadership, period. Paul's the only person speaking up for them. And the cool thing about Paul being the one to do it, he's the most Jewish of all of them. If Peter and James and John and the rest of the apostles, if they wanted to get into a Jewishness contest with Paul, they lose hands down. I mean, Paul's an elite Jew. He's more Jew than any of them. And yet he uses that position of strength as an insider for the weakest among them. Kind of reminds me, I heard this story years ago. I don't know if it's a true story or a parable, but it certainly makes this point of standing up for others. The story is told of an old country church that was very traditional, very formal. And in the late 1960s, early 1970s, during the hippie movement, one Sunday morning, this traditional formal church where everybody wore suits and ties, sports coats weren't even allowed. You had to wear a suit and tie. Ladies wore dresses, hats. Everything was very formal. Into that church one Sunday morning while the preacher was preaching, a young man walked in with greasy, stringy, long hair. He was wearing a tattered t-shirt with a logo from a rock band. He had on long bell-bottoms, greasy bell-bottom jeans, and he was wearing, of all things, flip-flops. And he walks into the back of the church during the pastor's sermon. He comes all the way down the center aisle, and of course, everybody's staring there's mumbling. Who does he think he is coming in disrespecting God dressed like that? Somebody ought to throw him out. Well, this kid, he comes all the way down the aisle. He sits down right front and center, cross-legged on the floor and starts listening to the preacher. Well, everybody's thinking somebody ought to do something. We can't let people like that in our church. And finally, an old gentleman who was the head usher 
the most respected man in the whole church. He finally gets up from the back because maybe he's had enough of this disrespect. And he starts walking down the aisle and everybody's thinking, yeah, he'll show this punk. He's going to throw this greasy, long-haired hippie out of here. And the old man walks down and when he gets to this young man, do you know what he does? He sits down cross-legged right beside him on the floor and hands him a program and a pen and sits side by side and listens to the sermon with him. See, that's a picture of what we are called to do. To use our standing, our acceptance, our place as insiders to be there for the outsiders. Interestingly, quick little side note, Paul's choice to stand up for the Gentiles not only helps the Gentiles, but it helps the church as a whole. Because during this period of time, there's a massive famine in Jerusalem and Judea. I mean, it's like the Great Depression. People are starving. People are hungry. There's poverty everywhere. There's great need. And the churches are trying to meet that need. They're taking up offering to provide food and to meet the needs of their community. And so notice what Paul says in verse 10. He's talking to the Galatians. He says, all they, the original apostles, all they asked was that we, the Gentile churches, should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. See, do you catch what happens? Because Paul stood up for the Gentiles. It opened the door for them to become a part of the church. And by becoming a part of the church, it doubled the size of the church. And in doing that, it doubled the resources that were available to help the hurting people in their community. See, that's what happens when insiders stand up for outsiders. When you use your position of acceptance before God to reach those who are still desperate for acceptance, it not only grows the church, but it helps the church have a greater impact in the community around them. So what would this look like in your life? How would this play out for you to stand up for others because you've been accepted? You know, maybe what it means on Sunday morning when you're at your campus and you see that person who's got that deer in the headlight look trying to figure out where to go, that you don't just walk past and go, boy, I hope a greeter will help them find out what's going on. No, you stop, you introduce yourself, you welcome them to the Cedar Creek Church family. Maybe that means on Sunday morning when you get here a little late and somebody's already in your seat, you don't get mad about it. You welcome them and you sit down beside them. Or maybe that means during the greeting when we're all doing the holy commotion, welcoming each other, instead of spending all your time catching up with friends who are already on the inside, you start looking for somebody seated near you who's just kind of standing there alone. And you go over and embrace them and say, Welcome to the Cedar Creek church family maybe it means that you don't let your home group become a clique where you just circle up the wagons me my four no more shut the door i got all the people i like we've just figured out how to get along with each other we can't be bringing new people in here they'll mess up our mojo and if we get too big philip's gonna tell us we got to multiply we got to have it like we like it no you say everybody needs this I'm going to open the door for those who have not found acceptance. Or maybe that means when you pass on the street somebody who's struggling 
You don't walk past and say, thank you, Jesus, I don't struggle with that anymore. You stop and take time and help hurting people. We've been accepted by God through Christ so that we can stand up for those who are still desperate for acceptance. And that leads us to number two. The second thing my acceptance allows is it allows me to reach those in my context. To reach those who are in my context. See, when God makes us acceptable to himself, it's not to separate us from those who have not yet found it. It's to work through us to reach those who are still on the outside. That's what happened with Paul. His acceptance as an apostle not only brought unity across the different cultures within the church, but it also increased the reach of the church. Look at verse 7. Paul says, God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. Do you see what happened here? The result of this meeting wasn't that Peter was told you need to be more like Paul or Paul was told you need to be more like Peter. They were both told to let God use them to reach those in the world in which he had placed them. We have a saying for that in the church. It's called bloom where you're planted. What does that mean? It means wherever God has placed you, he's placed you there for a purpose, to reach out to those who are still struggling on the outside. I mean, I know you want a new job. I know you don't like where you work. I know maybe you don't like your neighborhood. Maybe you don't like the people around you. And I understand you want to move on to the next thing, but maybe God is keeping you there because there's people he wants you to reach. This idea of blooming where you're planted is the very reason why we as a church don't constantly organize Christian activities where we draw you back with other Christians to your campus. Because every time we pull you back together here just to be around other Christians, we remove you from the very context, the very neighborhood, the very people that God has planted you near in order to reach. Because that's what we're called to do. Now, word of caution. If you are a new believer, you may need to pull away from some of those old playgrounds and some of those old playmates for a season until you've grown stronger in your faith, until you've built a network of relationships with other believers who can hold you accountable, who can watch your life. Then, and only then, can you then go back to where you came from and be used by God to reach those around you. Anybody in your world need that? Anybody an outsider in your office, where you work, your neighborhood, maybe even your own family? God has made us acceptable so that we could reach those in our own context. God makes me acceptable so I can stand up for those who have no standing. And then number three, and this is kind of weird, God makes me acceptable. My acceptance allows me to be honest with other believers. My acceptance allows me to be honest with other believers. Here's why I say that. You've got to track with me a little bit. Paul's acceptance as an apostle took his relationship with Peter to a whole 
another level. They had been friends before, but now they're on equal footing. They are both considered by everybody to be apostles. Now for us, looking back on this side of history, that seems obvious. We think of Peter and Paul both being up here. But at this point, Peter was the man. Paul was a Johnny-come-lately. Peter was the man to whom Jesus has said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Peter was the man who on the day of Pentecost stood in the streets of Jerusalem, preached the gospel, and 3,000 people got saved. Peter was the man. Paul was just some Johnny-come-lately who'd been toiling among the Gentiles. But now they're on the same level. They are fellow apostles. And because of that, Paul is given an opportunity, and I would even say an obligation, to speak some hard truth into Peter's life. See, sometime after this meeting, we don't know how long, but Peter took a little vacation from Jerusalem and went down into the Galatian area. He went to a city of Antioch, which was a Gentile city. And while Peter was there with other Gentile believers, he was having the time of his life. He's eating barbecued spare ribs. He's hanging out with these Gentiles. He's living the freedom of the gospel. But then he gets word that some of these Judaizers are coming from Jerusalem. Some suits from the home office are coming. And what does Peter do? He backs off. I don't know those Gentiles. I don't hang out with those Gentiles. I don't eat with those Gentiles. And it got so bad that even Barnabas, Poor Barnabas was sucked into this hypocrisy. And Paul says, I could not let that stand. Look at verse 11. Paul says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Why? Because what he did was very wrong. A couple things I want you to see in this, because I think this is so important for us in the church today. One, Paul deals with this issue face to face with Peter. He does not put it out on Facebook. He doesn't subtweet him on Twitter. He goes man to man, face to face, and talks to Peter about this issue. See, I think one of the problems we have in the church today is we got no problem talking about each other, but we are unwilling to talk to each other. And as long as we keep doing that, it is damaging the gospel message. And it makes us hypocrites. Yes, we are to speak the truth in love, but we are to speak it face to face. The other thing you need to realize is that Paul went to Peter and challenged him on this because it was a real issue. This wasn't just something that was a pet peeve for Paul. It wasn't just some personal preference that Paul had that he called Peter out on. No, it was the core of the gospel message. Paul says it was very wrong. It was damaging to the message. Maybe there's some things you need to let go because they're not really that big a thing. Maybe you're holding an offense or a grudge or you're about to give it to somebody and it's not really that important. Yes, we need to speak the truth in love, but we need to make sure we're speaking it on things that really matter, not just things that get under our skin. You also need to understand, Paul and Peter had a relationship. These guys had been friends for almost 17, 18 years. They'd done some life together. And so Paul is speaking this truth not to a stranger, 
but to a close friend. See, yes, the Bible says we are to speak the truth in love. That means from the platform of a relationship. If we keep running around as a church trying to speak truth to strangers, all they, were, all they will hear is condemnation and judgmentalism. If you don't build a relationship to share the truth of the gospel or the truth of a hurtful issue in somebody's life, you're just loud noise that is ignored because you come off as judgmental and condemning. God makes us acceptable to him through Christ, not so that we can point out the flaws of each other, but so that we can walk with each other through the painful struggles and failures of life. Who needs that in your world? Somebody struggling with an issue? Somebody going through a hard time? Somebody trapped in a sinful lifestyle? You know, we talked about this last week. Do you remember? Our most effective ministry to others will almost always come out of our most painful past experiences. That thing that we're so ashamed of, that we wish never happened, that we wish would go away, that we hope stays hidden. Oftentimes that is the very thing that God wants to use in us to walk with others who are walking down that same broken road. See, the reason Paul was the right person to call Peter on his religious hypocrisy is because Paul knew the emptiness of pursuing religious practice over an intimate relationship with the person of Jesus. And then finally, number four, the last thing that chapter two tells us about our acceptance is that it allows me to live for Christ. My acceptance allows me to live for Christ. See, when I fully embrace the gospel message, when I embrace this truth that my salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, it not only frees me from the bondage of my past or the emptiness of religious pursuits, but it opens the door for me to live the very life I was created for. The most well-known, most quoted verse in all of the book of Galatians has to be Galatians 2, verse 20. Look at what it says. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How many of you have heard that verse before? You're familiar with it. Yeah, almost all of us. But have you really thought about what it means? What is Paul saying? I believe he's saying three things. Three things come from living for Christ. One is that I can actually live for something bigger than myself. That's what he means when he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's like nobody wants to be crucified, nobody wants to die. No, I get that. But what Paul is saying is I can finally die to the self-centeredness that has driven my life into the ground throughout my life. I can finally be free to pursue something bigger than myself, to make a difference in others, to serve others. There's freedom in that when you discover life is not about me, that there's more to this life than just looking good and feeling good and having the goods. When you're free from that, you're free to live the life that Christ died to save. 
Number two, I think the second thing that Paul is saying about living for Christ is that it means that I can actually build my life on faith and not on circumstances. I can build my life on faith, not on circumstances. I think that's what Paul means when he says the, the life I now live in the body, in other words, my daily existence, I live that life by faith in the Son of God. Paul is saying because we've been accepted, we don't have to live our life on the up and down roller coaster of our temporary circumstances. We don't have to live from good day to bad day, good week to bad week. We live by faith. The hope that comes from that which we cannot see and may not see in our circumstances, we find freedom in that. And then the third thing I think Paul means when he says we can live for Christ is we can actually live in the security of God's love. So much of the damage that we do to ourselves, so much of the damage that we do in our relationships comes from seeking love and acceptance from someone other than God. Running after wanting to be loved, to fill that void with a man or a woman or what people think or people say. But when you embrace God's unconditional love, when you embrace His acceptance, when you realize that you don't have to earn that love, it's freely given, then and only then will you start to love yourself. And it's only when you start to love yourself that you can truly start to love others. And man, don't we need more of that in our lives, in our communities, in our culture. I mean, I look around and so much of, of what I see in our culture today, so, so much of what I see in our communities is that everybody's pushing everybody else to accept them. Everybody's desperate for acceptance, desperate for love, but when you realize that through Christ you have been made acceptable to God, you can finally find peace for yourself and learn to live at peace with others. That, that church is the awesome power of the gospel, of salvation, of acceptance, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for these truths. I, I thank you for the truth of the gospel message because my behavior and my life has been not just unacceptable to you, but an affront to your holiness. And yet, God, in the depths of my brokenness, in the depths of my shame and in my failures, you reached out and loved and made me acceptable. Through Christ's death on the cross, we gain your righteousness. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received that. Maybe you've never been around church or you've never heard the gospel this way or, or, or maybe you've been in church and you've pursued religion your whole life, but maybe you've never received that acceptance through Christ. God brought you here today to say, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can surrender to the emptiness of self and religion and acceptance by others and fall into the loving arms of your Father, your heavenly Father, and receive not just eternal life, 
but a purpose for living right here, right now. Maybe you're here and you are a believer. You, you are on the inside, but God brought you here today to remind you to keep looking outside, to use your standing not for your own glory or your own benefit, but to use it for those who have no voice and have no place to stand, to be outwardly focused, reaching those that God brings into your world. Father, help us to live this stuff out, that we would not just be people who study your word, but people who live your word in order to change the lives of people around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.